Due to the graphic nature of this murder case, listener discretion is advised. This episode includes dramatizations and discussions of murder and assault. We advise extreme caution for children under 13. By 1974, 43-year-old Mac Graham and his wife, 41-year-old Muff, were living their dream. They'd been married for over a decade and had spent much of that time aboard their 38-foot luxury yacht, the Sea Wind. Mac had received a hefty inheritance as a young man, which he'd used to finance their lifestyle. For them, every day was a new adventure. In the spring of 1974, they were ready to embark on their biggest journey yet. They were going to sail to one of the most remote locations on Earth, the Palmyra Atoll. It was a tiny, uninhabited ring of islands, a thousand miles south of Hawaii. They packed the sea wind with enough supplies to last a year, then departed from San Diego. Visions of crystal-clear lagoons and lush coconut groves tempted them forward. They stopped in Hawaii for a rest, then continued on their way. After another week of sailing, the ship neared Palmyra's natural harbor. Schools of fish swam through cool waters, and fruit trees speckled the island. Mac and Muff felt like they'd just reached paradise. But even a place as beautiful as Palmyra harbored dangers. Black-tipped sharks surrounded its shores, searching for their next meal. Poisonous fish lurked in its reefs. Something sinister lay in wait behind its perfect veneer. And the happy couple wouldn't leave the island alive. Welcome to Solved Murders True Crime Mysteries, a Spotify original from Parcast. I'm your host, Carter Roy. And I'm your host, Wendy McKenzie. Every Wednesday, we step into the world of true crime's most fascinating murder cases and tell the tale of how real-life detectives close the case. You can find episodes of Solved Murders and all other Spotify originals from ParCast for free exclusively on Spotify. This is our first episode on the Palmyra Island murders. This week, a tragedy strikes in paradise, leading FBI agents on a manhunt through the Pacific Ocean. Next week, the cold case is reignited, and agents finally figure out what happened on the isolated atoll. We have all that and more coming up. Stay with us. This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, to get 20, 20, 20, to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot... 
Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. Throughout most of the 1970s, Palmyra Atoll was uninhabited. It sat halfway between Hawaii and American Samoa and only held around four square miles of land. It had hosted an American military base during World War II, but 30 years later, it was simply a privately owned territory in the middle of nowhere. As Mac and Muff Graham neared the shore on July 2, 1974, they expected to find the island deserted. Instead, they saw a number of other sailboats anchored in the reefs. It appeared they wouldn't have the tropical paradise all to themselves, but that was all right. They were always looking to make new sailing friends. They anchored the sea wind and rode their dinghy ashore, excited to meet their neighbors. As they walked across the warm sand, they crossed paths with six people. There was Jack and Leah Wheeler, a married couple with two teenage children named Sharon and Steve. Then there was Roy Allen and his wife, who, for the sake of privacy, we'll call Michelle. They were newlyweds who had come to Palmyra for adventure. Unlike the Grahams and the Wheelers, 28-year-old Michelle and 36-year-old Roy were amateur sailors. They had plenty of enthusiasm, but far less experience and wealth. Nevertheless, Muff tried to befriend them. She learned that the young couple had also sailed to Palmyra by way of Hawaii, but their journey had been rough. It took them 19 days to reach the atoll and a week more to sail to shore, more than twice as long as it should have. They'd run into storms, sharks, cracks in their hull leading to flooding, and even a dead motor. Roy and Michelle planned to stay on the island for several months, or maybe longer. However, their boat, the Iola, was too small to store much food. They intended to live off the land, but they weren't particularly skilled in hunting or gathering. They'd even brought three dogs with them, somehow planning to feed five mouths with nothing but natural resources. Mac and Muff tried not to judge the young couple, but it was hard. In addition to their obvious lack of preparation, they were often rude. Michelle sometimes talked with the group, but Roy was standoffish. His appearance didn't help. He was missing his front teeth and sported a shoddy heart tattoo with the name Buck written on his arm. One of the other sailors noticed the ink, but Roy just stared back at him, falling strangely silent. His eyes grew cold as everyone waited for him to say something. Michelle stepped in, explaining that Buck was Roy's nickname, but Mac couldn't shake the chill that had fallen over the conversation. Soon, another sailboat glided into the lagoon. It was Ed and Marilyn Pollock. They traveled the world, knew their way around the ocean, and fell in easily with the more experienced sailors. The island became its own small community. Still, there was a clear rift between its inhabitants. The Grahams, Wheelers, and Pollocks were all upper-class sailors. Michelle and Roy were an unkempt duo who didn't know what they'd gotten themselves into. The others took to calling them the hippie couple. In 1974, this nickname was a bit of an insult. 
From their well-stocked ships, the wealthier sailors looked down at Michelle and Roy's rickety Iola. As the hippie couple struggled to find food, Mac and Muff relaxed in their luxurious sea wind. The yacht was decked out with Tiffany cutlery, luxurious carpeting, and spacious cabins. Every now and then, Mac ventured out onto the island, exploring the remains of the old World War II base. Muff worked on their ship, cooking fine meals and making drinks for the other sailors. Every week, Mac and Muff checked in with their friend, Kurt Shoemaker, via radio. They'd met Kurt in Hawaii, and he suggested they keep in touch while living on Palmyra, so far from civilization. See you in the Shoemaker. Over. Shoemaker copies. How are you two doing? Right as rain. Oh, this place is heaven on earth. Oh, it really is, Kurt. I was worried we'd be lonely out here, but there's plenty of sailors keeping us company. Oh, yeah? Anybody interesting? Well, there's Jack Wheeler. He's been out here so many times, he thinks he's a mayor. Let's see. The Pollux got here the same day as us. Oh, you'll get a kick out of this. There's another couple here. A pair of hippies. Be nice, Mac. They're planning on staying here a few months like us, right? Except they barely bought any food with them. Said they're going to live off the land. That doesn't sound so wise. (laughs) It's not. But don't worry, they've got a plan. They've brought some marijuana seeds with them. They're going to grow it right here on the island. I really wish they wouldn't. It makes me so uncomfortable. There's no cops out here, so what can you do? Anyway, they say they've got some friends stopping by in a couple of months, and they'll trade them the pot for some supplies. You ever heard of anything like that? Can't say that I have. But I agree with Muff. Seems like something you might want to stay away from. Ah, we're fine. I don't agree with it myself, but I always say, live and let live, right? While Mac brushed off Kurt's warnings, Muff grew concerned about the hippie couple. Without supplies, Roy and Michelle had to barter with the others for food. Sometimes they even resorted to begging. Muff took pity on them, but the Wheelers and the Pollocks felt less charitable. They'd meticulously prepared for their trips. Sharing with a hippie couple meant giving away their own priceless supplies. Jack Wheeler tried to teach Michelle and Roy how to live off the land, but the couple seemed hopeless. Roy tried to get food by shooting at fish with his 22 caliber revolver. Michelle wasted precious drinking water by washing clothes in it. Jack tried to be patient, but soon the hippie couple went too far. One of their dogs bit Jack's 15-year-old son, Steve. Michelle and Roy tried to downplay the severity of the bite, but sustaining an injury while so far from civilization was a recipe for disaster. Jack Wheeler was furious. The hippie couple was putting everyone on the island in danger. A week later, he and his family left Palmyra. That brought the number of people on the atoll from 10 to 6. The Pollocks also planned to depart in a few days, which meant they'd be leaving Mac and Muff alone with the hippie couple. They aired their concerns over dinner. It just doesn't seem... safe. I've dreamed about this vacation on Palmyra for years. I'm not about to let someone like Roy Allen interrupt my peace. And I'm sure they're harmless. They might look a little (laughs) ragged, but you've seen the wreck they're staying on. I'd look a mess, too. Uh, Muff's got a good heart. She even invited them aboard a couple of times. 
It was nice for them to escape those cramped quarters for a bit. I don't trust either of those hippies as far as I can throw them, and Roy's got a gun! Yeah, and so do I. Mac! It's just for emergencies. But if Roy Allen even thinks about coming after me, I'll pull the trigger first. Hunt, can we open another bottle? With a final warning to keep an eye out for trouble, the Pollocks left the island on July 16th, two weeks after they'd first dropped anchor. Over the next month, a few more sailors came and went from Palmyra, but by mid-August, Mac and Muff were alone with Roy and Michelle. Again, they did their best to be personable, and Michelle often returned the favor, but Roy kept to himself until a confrontation broke out between him and Mac. Unable to catch any fish, Roy resorted to picking coconuts for sustenance. He couldn't climb the trees, so he cut them down with a chainsaw. He got his coconuts, but he was destroying the environment in the process. Roy's behavior enraged Mac, and Roy let him know about it. When the Grams told their friends about Roy's behavior, they begged them to be careful. Another month passed. On Wednesday, September 4th, 1974, Kurt sat down for his scheduled check-in with the Grams. Shoemaker calling Seawind. Over. Seawind, are you there? Over. Mac, are you there, buddy? Mac, I'm going to go ahead and assume the sunset's extra beautiful tonight and made you forget about our weekly check-in. But if you can hear me, I'll try again next week, same time. And if anything's wrong, you just radio me, okay? Shoemaker out. Hang on. Shoemaker to Seawind. Everything all right? Over. Kurt sat behind the radio for almost half an hour, hoping he'd hear from his friends. No answer came. He resigned himself to wait another week. Perhaps Mac and Muff would check in later and apologize for worrying him. But a week passed and the radio remained silent. No matter how frantically Kurt called for his friends, only Static replied. This lack of communication was very uncommon for experienced sailors, especially Mac and Muff. Panic gnawed at Kurt. He felt certain that something terrible had happened on Palmyra Island. Coming up, Kurt Shoemaker calls for backup. I'm Sarah Turney, host of Disappearances, a Spotify original from Parcast. In 2020, I used social media to help bring justice to my sister Alyssa's nearly two decades long disappearance. Now I'm exploring the many reasons people disappear and finding that the truth may be even harder to locate than the person. Who forced a famed explorer to lose his way? What did a missing Hollywood starlet leave behind? And how could the heiress to a Chicago candy fortune just vanish? Every Thursday on Disappearances, join me for a deeper look into history's most gripping missing persons cases. Tracking timelines, analyzing clues, and piecing together as many answers as possible to find the actual truth. Follow the Spotify original from Parcast Disappearances. Listen free only on Spotify. 
Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Now back to the story. In September 1974, Kurt Shoemaker tried in vain to contact his friends, Mac and Muff Graham. They'd recently traveled to the Palmyra Atoll, an isolated island in the middle of the Pacific Ocean. Kurt had a feeling that something awful had happened to his friends. With no way to get in contact with anyone else on Palmyra, he reached out to the U.S. Coast Guard. Coast Guard, please state your business. Hi, yes, I've been trying to reach some friends docked at Palmyra Atoll, but they've been radio silent. I think they could be missing. They could be missing, or they are missing. Well, I don't know. But I do know something bad has happened. Is it possible that they're headed for another port? Weather sometimes gets bad on Palmyra. Maybe they sailed for Samoa. No, no, they wouldn't have left without telling me. They planned to be there for months, maybe even through next year. I need someone to go check on them. Sir, we can't just send a team to go look after your friends. We don't even know if their ship is missing. There was another couple with them on the island. Two lowlifes with a broken boat. What if they stole the sea wind and left my friends stranded? I'm sorry. There's nothing we can do. You're sorry? My friends are probably tied up in the middle of nowhere right now, and you're sorry? Thanks a lot. With no help from the Coast Guard, Kurt took the investigation into his own hands. He called his friend Martin Vitusek. Martin was a pilot, and he happened to be working on a research project in the Pacific Ocean near Palmyra. He agreed to fly over the island to look for Mac and Muff. Martin's plane circled low over the island. He passed Palmyra's reefs, sparkling lagoons, and lush vegetation. Dolphins swam in the water alongside sharks. Birds nested in the trees. But there were no signs of any people. Martin patrolled the surrounding waters for sunken boats, but he couldn't spot a single trace of either the sea wind or the Iola. With a heavy heart, he reported the bad news to Kurt. Mac, Muff, Michelle, and Roy had vanished. Something had happened on the island, and Kurt was sure the hippie couple was to blame. He knew how desperate they were. They had no food and a broken-down boat. It was a potentially life-threatening situation. Maybe they thought the sea wind was their only way out. Still, Kurt couldn't get the authorities interested in the case. To outsiders, it seemed like the Grahams had just changed their plans without telling him. But Kurt knew Mac and Muff would never be so thoughtless. So again, he took the reins of the investigation. He turned back to his ham radio and contacted the Mickey Mouse Network, a group of amateur operators spaced out across the Pacific Ocean. Mickey Mouse Network, this is Shoemaker. I'm reaching out to anyone listening today to be on the lookout for a sailboat called the Sea Wind. Mickey Mouse Network listening in, Shoemaker. You've got ham radio operators from New Zealand to Hawaii monitoring this channel. Go ahead. I have reason to believe the Sea Wind is missing. 
probably stolen. It's a white and blue catch, owned by Mac and Muff Graham, in their 40s. Might currently be skippered by a young, rough-looking couple. Copy that, Shoemaker. Have you alerted authorities? <sighs> Several times. No dice. We need civilian eyes and ears all across the Pacific searching for the sea wind. You can count on us. Over. The members of the Mickey Mouse Network heard Kurt's plea, and all were ready to help out. People across the Pacific kept an eye out for the sea wind. But a month passed with no sign of the yacht. By October 28th, anyone looking for the sea wind had run out of hope. Until Marilyn and Ed Pollock, who'd also been at Palmyra Island, took a walk along Honolulu's Alawai Harbor. Perfect day for a picnic. <laughs> So's every day on this island. Let's stay a little longer before heading back to Kauai. Fine by me. Gives us more time to spend at the yacht club. Hey, you see that boat over there? That purple and white catch? Yeah, why? Doesn't that... Doesn't that look just like the sea wind? The ones Mac and Muff had back in Palmyra? It can't be. Their boat's still missing. Besides, the sea wind was white and blue. That looks like a fresh coat of paint. Come on, let's get a closer look. Ed and Marilyn approached the 38-foot yacht. They could tell it had been painted recently, and it no longer bore any name. Clearly, it had been disguised. As they examined the ship, something else caught their eye. A dinghy pulling away from it. A man rode it, but it wasn't Mac Graham. It was Roy Allen, and he was trying to get away. Ed and Marilyn jumped into action. Ed called the Coast Guard, who then contacted the local FBI office. Special Agent Calvin Shishido took the call, but he didn't understand why the Coast Guard couldn't handle the case on their own. Lost and found boats weren't the FBI's problem. The Coast Guard insisted there was a possibility of foul play, as reported by Kurt Shoemaker and Ed Pollock. Both believed Roy Allen had stolen the sea wind and Matt Graham would never give up his boat without a fight. The Grahams were either stranded somewhere in the Pacific, or worse. Agent Shishido met Ed and Marilyn at the dock, and the men rowed a lifeboat towards the yacht for a better look. Ed pointed out several places where the new purple paint didn't quite cover the signature blue of the sea wind. He also noticed netting, the same kind that had been on the hippie couple's old boat to keep their dogs from falling overboard. Even with all this evidence, Agent Shishido remained unconvinced. He thought Mac and Muff might have taken pity on Roy and Michelle and offered them a lift back to Hawaii. Maybe Ed and Marilyn just missed them. They might be off enjoying themselves, which would explain why they'd forgotten to check in with Kurt. The FBI's lack of urgency frustrated Ed and Marilyn, but there was nothing they could do about it. Agent Shishido had a Coast Guard officer keep watch on the nameless boat. If Roy Allen reappeared, they would talk to him. But for now, that's all they would do. Agent Shishido went on with his day. He likely assumed that there was an easy explanation for all of this, and the case would be off his desk before his next shift. He was dead wrong. 
The next morning, the harbor buzzed with activity. The docks were crowded with boats and Coast Guard agents. Ed Pollock was nearby to identify Roy and Michelle Allen if they showed up. At 8 a.m., Coast Guard agents spotted a couple on the disguised sea wind. Somehow, Roy and Michelle had made it back onto the boat without being noticed by the lookout. And they were already on the run. Agent Shishido raced to the scene. When he arrived, the situation had already changed. Michelle had been spotted dropping Roy off at one of the docks, then she took the dinghy back to the yacht. Agent Shishido joined the Coast Guard officers in a cutter, and they sped into the harbor. From the deck, Agent Shishido could see Michelle in the dinghy, trying to row away from him towards shore. A crowd formed, attracted by all the commotion. Just as Shishido closed in on Michelle... Roy, hiding at one of the docks, ripped off his shirt and dove into the water, completely disappearing from sight. Up next, FBI agents turn over every stone in Hawaii in search of their culprit. Wyndham Hotels and Resorts makes travel possible for all. Whether it's the long haulers looking for a great cup of coffee, a roomier rest for the on-a-wim road trippers, or a place to make summer memories with the whole family. No matter who you are, where you're going, or why, with 24 trusted brands to choose from like La Quinta, Days Inn, and Super 8, your Wyndham is waiting. Get the lowest price at WyndhamHotels.com. Restrictions apply. Visit website for more details. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Now, back to the story. On October 29, 1974, 36-year-old Roy Allen and his partner, 28-year-old Michelle, attempted a grand escape from Honolulu's Alawai Harbor. As Coast Guard officers and FBI agents chased them, Michelle rode away and Roy dove underwater. Roy disappeared, but law enforcement still had eyes on Michelle. The moment her dinghy hit the sand, she jumped out and ran on foot. Coast Guard agents sprinted after her. They soon found her hiding in the nearby Ilikai Marina Hotel. She was immediately detained and brought to Agent Shishido for questioning. The fact that Michelle and Roy ran from authorities made them look very suspicious but Michelle insisted she had an explanation. Something terrible had happened on the Palmyra Atoll, and she and Roy worried they'd be blamed for it. If Agent Shishido would just listen to her story, it would all make sense. According to Michelle's story, earlier that month, the Grams invited her and Roy onto the sea wind for dinner. The afternoon before the party, Mac and Muff went on a fishing trip on their skiff, They told Michelle and Roy they could wait on the sea wind until they got back. The hippie couple obliged, marveling at the beautiful interior of the yacht. They waited for their hosts. But one hour turned into two, then three. Mac and Muff didn't return. 
Roy and Michelle hoped there was a reasonable explanation for the delay, but as the sun set and there was still no sign of the Grams, they knew something was very wrong. The next day, they took their own skiff to try to find Mac and Muff. In a nearby lagoon, they found the lifeboat the Grams had taken fishing. It had capsized. There were no signs of the couple anywhere. Roy and Michelle searched the waters, but the ocean around Palmyra Island was thick with black-tipped sharks. If the Grams had fallen in, there was little chance they survived. With heavy hearts, Roy and Michelle had to face the sad truth. Mac and Muff Graham were likely dead. Roy and Michelle had to figure out what to do next. They'd been planning to leave the island because their supplies had almost run out. To make matters worse, their marijuana seeds had all been eaten by insects. They decided to leave for Hawaii on their boat, but Michelle claimed it crashed into the reef trying to sail out. They had no choice but to board the sea wind. Fearing the authorities wouldn't believe their story, they repainted the yacht and tried to lay low. They knew they looked guilty, and they wanted to figure out how to come clean about what happened to the Grams. But Ed and Marilyn spotted them before they could. It was a plausible story. Tragic accidents did happen in remote parts of the Pacific. But Ed Pollock had a bone to pick. According to him, Michelle's version of events didn't add up. I don't care what she says. There's no way Mac and Muff would have let them on the sea wind when they weren't there. Perhaps the four of them came to some sort of truce after you left. I didn't know the Grams for long, but I knew them well enough to believe that wouldn't have happened. Besides, you want me to think Roy and Michelle were forced to take over the sea wind? It's plausible. It's not. The Iola would have barely made it ten feet, and those two knew it. They hated that leaky bucket and would have jumped at the chance to take the sea wind. If they really believed something happened to Mac and Muff, they would have told someone as soon as they hit dry land. Michelle claims they feared repercussions. She was worried they'd look guilty. I don't believe a word of it. The least they could have done is radioed Kurt Shoemaker. They knew he'd been looking for the Grams. But honestly, what are you still talking to me for? You should be out looking for Roy. While Michelle waited in police custody, the FBI, the Coast Guard, and local police all searched the island for Roy. During this manhunt, Agent Shishido and the FBI uncovered some interesting facts about Roy Allen. First of all, he was using a fake identity. His real name was Buck Walker, like the tattoo on his arm. And Michelle wasn't his wife. She was his girlfriend, which meant her last name wasn't Allen. On top of them both assuming pseudonyms, Buck also had a slew of criminal drug charges that could lead to time behind bars. He and Michelle hadn't been on Palmyra for a romantic adventure. They'd been there to avoid authorities. The discovery of Buck's criminal record got Agent Shishido's wheels turning. The more he thought about it, the more unlikely Michelle's story seemed. The chances that Mac and Muff, highly experienced sailors, had capsized while fishing were slim. It made much more sense that Michelle and Buck had stolen the sea wind on purpose. And like Ed had said, Mac wouldn't give up his yacht without a fight. Foul play seemed very likely, 
but Agent Shishido didn't have a shred of physical evidence to prove it. Hoping to uncover more clues, Shishido ordered a search of the Palmyra Atoll. For days, federal agents, Coast Guard divers, and others scoured the island, turning over every rock and leaf. They sent divers into the coral reefs. They scoured the abandoned military base, and they came away with nothing. At that point, Agent Shishido only had evidence that Buck and Michelle had stolen the sea wind, but he felt sure they were guilty of more than theft. If they'd fought Matt Graham for the yacht, it might have been a fight to the death. That would make Buck Walker a violent criminal. And he was still on the loose. On November 8, 1974, the authorities had almost given up hope of finding him. Thanks, miss. I'll take a Diet Coke. And, uh, water for me. Of course, officers. Quick question. Can you take a look at this picture and tell me if you've seen this man recently? Oh, yeah, actually. He just came in to buy a newspaper. He's sitting on that bench outside. Oh my god, you're right. That's him. Come on. The agents raced across the street where a clean-shaven man calmly read the newspaper in the shade of a tree. He barely looked up when they drew the guns on him. FBI, are you Buck Walker? Yes, that's me. You're under arrest. Well, I would think so. After diving off the pier almost two weeks earlier, Buck hid under the docks for three hours. When the coast was finally clear, he escaped to a hotel where he laid low and shaved his beard. He'd been on the run ever since, staying various places and hitchhiking across the state. He eventually settled into a tiny town called Havi and checked into a hotel using yet another fake name. He hoped he'd done enough to evade police, but he hadn't. On November 8th, he was caught, and he probably knew there was no use trying to run anymore. With both suspects in custody, but no evidence for a murder case, Agent Shishido settled on a lesser charge. Michelle and Bach were each tried separately for the theft of the sea wind. In the summer of 1975, Michelle was found guilty of boat theft and transporting stolen property. She was sentenced to two years behind bars. Later that winter, Buck faced a trial of his own. Buck Walker, you've been charged with grand theft and the transportation of stolen property. You are also charged with using an alias to obtain a passport. Yes, Your Honor. The jury has found you guilty on all counts. Do you have anything you'd like to say before the court rules on sentencing? I have nothing to say except that I'm innocent. We didn't hurt anybody on that godforsaken island. We're lucky we escaped with our lives. And I'm sorry that I can't say the same for the other couple. I don't have an excuse for the drugs and the passport. But I have to say, with everything I've been through on the island, and with everything this court's put me through, I've already received punishment enough. Mr. Walker. It's not up to you to decide on the appropriate punishment for your crimes. I'm sentencing you to 10 years in federal prison, which will commence after you finish serving your three-year sentence for the drug charges. Bailiff, remove this man from my courtroom. Your Honor, I'm innocent! I'm innocent! Throughout their trials, Michelle and Buck stuck to their stories. 
Since no proof of foul play had been found, some investigators couldn't help but wonder if the couple was telling the truth. It was possible that Mac and Muff's lifeboat had capsized and that they drowned. With all the sharks circling Palmyra Island, their bodies could have been eaten. Perhaps Mac and Muff Graham really were lost to the sea. The FBI and the Coast Guard moved on to other cases, believing they'd done all they could. Years passed. Michelle was released from prison early in 1976. She moved to California to start a new life. Buck Walker still stewed behind bars. For the FBI, the case of the sea wind was becoming a distant memory. Then, on January 25, 1981, a woman walked along the shore of Palmyra Island, enjoying her vacation. She breathed in the fresh ocean air. Then, something on the beach caught her eye. Some objects had washed up on the sand. She stepped closer, and her breath caught. There, littering the beautiful beach, was a pile of human bones. Thanks again for tuning in to Solved Murders. We'll be back next Wednesday with part two of the Palmyra Island murders. We'll return to the tropical atoll and discover how a seemingly perfect crime came undone. For more information on the Palmyra Island murders, amongst the many sources we used, we found And the Sea Will Tell by Vincent Bugliosi with Bruce E. Henderson, extremely helpful to our research. You can find all episodes of Solved Murders and all other Spotify originals from ParCast for free on Spotify. We'll see you next time. If we live till next time. Solve Murders True Crime Mysteries is a Spotify original from ParCast. It is executive produced by Max Cutler. Sound designed by Michael Langsner, with production assistance by Ron Shapiro, Trent Williamson, Carly Madden, and Freddie Beckley. This episode of Solve Murders is written by Kayla Westergaard-Dobson, with writing assistance by Karis Allen and Giles Hofseth. Fact-checking by Claire Cronin, and research by Mickey Taylor. The amazing cast of voice actors includes Kai Jordan, Brian Kim, Drew Lawn, Cameron Nicod, and Jen Wong. Solve Murder stars Wendy McKenzie and Carter Roy.